0: our youth worship team, and we give God thanks for them. And thank you, Christopher, for telling us a little bit of the background to that song. It obviously adds uh, to the the appreciation of that song and all that it says. Amen? Amen? A little girl attended a wedding for the first time. Any of you remember when when it was the first time you attended a wedding? Remember? Well, this little girl attended a wedding for the first time. And while in the church, the little girl said to her mom, she said, Mom, why is the bride dressed in white? And the mother said, because white is the color of happiness and it's the happiest day of her life today. After a little bit, the little girl looked up at her mom again and said, But then, Mom, why is the groom wearing black? (laughs) Oh, children can be a great joy, right? And their questions can't always be answered very easily sometimes. Would you turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapters 13 and 14? Numbers 13 and 14. I want to share with you today on the topic of keys to a greater future for you personally and for our church. Keys to a greater future for you personally and for our church. As I have been thinking about our church's 40th anniversary, which we celebrated on November the 3rd, and want to just continue to celebrate. I've also been wondering, I've been wondering about what are some keys to a greater future for each one of you and your families and for us as a congregation. And as I mentioned to you in part one of this message, the story of the Lord telling Moses to send out men, to explore the land of Canaan reveals to us some wonderful truths, some keys to a greater future. And this story is recorded in Numbers 13 and 14. God had used Moses to lead the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. This happened around 1200 to 1400 BC. Eventually they came to a place called Kadesh or Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran, P-A-R-A-N. They were getting ready to go into the promised land which was also called the land of Canaan when God instructed Moses to send send out some scouts, one leader from each of the 12 12 ancestral tribes. Joshua Joshua and Caleb came back with an encouraging report and said, let's move forward. This is the land that God has promised us and we must go and possess it. But the other ten spies were very discouraging. They were very discouraging. In fact, they were heartbreaking. And they told the people that if they go, they're going to be devoured. They're going to be eaten up, chewed up. And the story reveals to us important keys to a greater future. Now, in part one that I shared with you, in part one of the message, we discovered the following truths. Just a little recollection Um, for those of you who were here and for those of you who maybe missed part one. We talked about how we need to cultivate and maintain a we can instead of a we can't attitude. Joshua and Caleb said, we can move forward and possess the land. The majority, however, the other 10 said, no, we can't. No, no way, Jose. We can't move forward. That's the first truth we talked about. Then the second truth we talked about was, we said, be careful not to exaggerate our difficulties. Be careful not to exaggerate. The 10 who gave the bad report really exaggerated as to uh, how bad things were and how bad it would be if they moved onto the so-called promised land. They really kind of blew things out of proportion. And we talked about how in, in your life and in the life of our church, we have to be careful not to blow things out of proportion. We have to be careful not to exaggerate and make things worse than they really are because that can cause a lot of discouragement, Right? And then the third truth we talked about was, we said, let's not underestimate our own abilities. Let's not underestimate our own abilities. Uh, In the story, the 10 negative people, the 10 negative spies, went back to the whole group of the Israelites and and said, oh, oh, we're, we're like grasshoppers. We're like bugs. We're like grasshoppers compared to the people over there. Uh, They're going to massacre us. We're like grasshoppers. And they really underestimated their abilities. And they didn't even talk about the fact that that this was what God promised them. That God had promised them to go into this land. And that they would possess it. And it was their land. They didn't, the ten spies didn't even put, put God into the picture. And then the fourth truth we talked about was, we said, be careful not to get discouraged. The, the people, after hearing how bad things would be, according to the ten spies, they got really discouraged. They got, oh wow, they, they got so bad. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. They got terribly discouraged. And I shared with you some principles of how you and I can better avoid discouragement in our lives Individually and as families. Now I want to move on further into part two of this message. I obviously didn't have enough time to share everything that uh, needed to be said in our study of Numbers 13 and 14. So I want to share with you this second message and next Sunday will be the third message in this brief series. All right? First truth I want to share with you today is this. Number one, read it out loud with me from the big screen. Believe in God's promises. Believe in God's promises. Uh, This is communicated to us in Numbers chapters 13 and verse 1 and 2 and chapters 14 verses 5 through 11 and actually through the whole story. But the bottom line is God had promised the people of Israel That he would safely take them into the promised land, which was also often called the land of Canaan. God had promised this land to them. Notice in Numbers 13, verses 1 and 2, it says, The Lord now said, The Lord now said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. All right, The land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Notice the Lord said, I, the Lord, am giving this land to the Israelites. There is God's promise. And of the 12 men who went to explore the land, as we said, 10 of the men went back and gave a very bad, a very negative report. Notice what Numbers 13, verse 32 and following says. Verse 32 says this. So they spread. That's the 10, the 10 men. So they spread this bad report about the land among The Israelites, the land we traveled through and explored, will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Only only two of the men, Joshua and Caleb, gave the good report. And they gave it, for example, in verse 30, But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. We can certainly conquer it. Now after the ten explorers spread their bad report, the Israelites started to complain. They complained big time against their leaders, Moses and Aaron. Now notice, I want you to notice what Moses and Aaron did and and said. In uh, Numbers chapter 14, we'll just go to the next chapter, uh, I want you to notice Numbers 14 beginning at verse 5, "'Then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephune, tore their clothing.' They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Remember last week or the previous week, I I shared with you that, that term, land flowing with milk and honey, is an expression saying, it's full of blessings. It's rich. It's wonderful. Verse 9. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Verse 10. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. It's amazing how quickly people can turn on leaders. You know? Yeah. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites of the tabernacle. The Lord thought, I, I, better, I better kind of fix these guys here. Got to help, help straighten them out. Verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt Will they never believe me even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them? Now let verse, verse 11 really sink into your heart where it says, And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they treat me with contempt? Do you know what the definition of contempt is Here's the definition. Contempt is the feeling that a person is beneath consideration, worthless. Worthless. God said to Moses in a sense, "How long will these people treat me as if I am worthless?" useless and then in the next part of verse 11 god says will they never believe me even after all the miraculous signs i have done for them god had done many miracles to get them out of egyptian slavery he did miracles in their travels from egypt to where they were now he parted he parted the sea and so god is saying Um, excuse me, will they never believe me even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them? In a sense, God was saying to them, I made you a precious promise that I will lead you into the promised land. But you don't even believe me. Despite all that I've done for you, I made you a promise and now you're acting as As if I don't even exist, and you're acting as if you don't believe me. Do you see that? What is very sad is that because because the majority of people did not believe God would carry out His promise, they wandered in the wilderness, in the wilderness, in the desert. How long? 40 years, F-O-R-T-Y, 40 years until most of that unbelieving generation died and then God completed his promise and led the younger generation into the land of Canaan. My friends, sometimes if we don't believe in God's promises, there can be serious consequences and unnecessary loss. Right? Now, what are some of God's promises? What are some of God's promises that apply to you and me? Some of God's promises that are truly relevant to your life today and you, the life of your family. Here are, here are some of those promises. We don't have time to go into all of them, but here are some of them. For those of you making notes, a. There's the promise, promise of forgiveness of sins. 1 John 1, 9 beautifully says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's his promise. Have you asked God to forgive you of your sins? God says repent and believe. He wants us to sincerely seek Forgiveness for our sins. And he says as we truly seek forgiveness, his promise is we are forgiven. There's also point B, the promise of having Jesus by his spirit come into your life. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus is speaking and he says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. Or in some of the other Bible translations, Revelation 3:20 says, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in." Have you opened the door of your heart and your life to the spirit of Jesus? He says, "I stand and I'm knocking." Then there's also the promise, the promise of God, point C. Promise of God to help you, to help us. Isaiah 41.10 says, Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will strengthen you and help you. For the many of you who are going through grief, may this verse encourage you. He says, I will strengthen you and and help you. I will do that, he says. The Lord says, I will help you. There is also the promise of the Lord's presence to be with you, his presence. In Matthew 28, verse 20, it says, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And Isaiah 43, verse 2 says, When you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. And so we have the promise of the Lord's presence. No matter what you're going through, he says when you go through deep waters, rivers of difficulty, when you walk through the fire of oppression, the flames will not consume you. He is the present one. There's also the promise, the promise of salvation through Jesus. Acts 4 verse 12 says, There is salvation in no one else, referring to Jesus. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It is only through Jesus that we are saved from the consequences of our sins. It is only through faith and trust in Jesus that we can be forgiven and adopted into the family of God and know that we belong to the living God by faith. Are you trusting in Jesus for your salvation? Are you trusting in Jesus as your Savior, the the one who has saved you from the consequences of your sins? Radio listeners, radio listeners, you have the privilege, each one of us, whether we're sitting here at Rosewood Church of the Nazarene or you're listening by radio or listening on the Internet, we have the privilege of trusting in Jesus, as Savior and Lord of our lives. There's also the promise of eternal life in heaven. That's point F for any of you making notes. Promise of eternal life in heaven. John 3.16 beautifully tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. Amen. Do you know that you have everlasting life? Do you know that your eternal home is in heaven? As a pastor, along with Reverend Dr. Lisa Autar, we perform, we officiate many funerals. And it's so important that you know and we know that our eternal home is heaven through repentance of our sins, through knowing that our sins are forgiven, through putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Then there's also the promise, the promise of blessings, The promise of blessings when we give to the Lord's work, when we give our tithes and offerings. In Malachi 3, verse 8, it says, Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. This is the Lord speaking. It says, Yet you you have cheated me. But you ask, "What What do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me, put me to the test. That is the promise of blessings as we give to the Lord's work in tithes and offerings. Amen. There's also the promise of the Lord to supply all your needs. Philippians 4.19 says, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ." Jesus. Isn't that encouraging? The same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs. Look look, look at this. From his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Is there an amen in the house? Amen. Amen indeed. And then there's the promise of the Lord to give you a good future, a good future and hope. In Jeremiah 29, verse 11, we read, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, they are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. My friends, these promises and many others that we don't have time to all get into them, uh, these promises and many others from God, are for you and and you and you and you and you up in the balcony. They are for you personally and for your family and for us here, the family of God called Rosewood Church of the Nazarene. And as we live our lives, as we live our lives in the weeks ahead and in the new year to come, let us believe in God's promises. Amen? Right on. Right on. Right on. So my friends, it's wonderful to know that we can have a greater future. We can have a greater future as we believe in God's promises. There's a second truth I want to take your minds and hearts to, and it is this. It took me a little while to try to figure out how to best state this. Read it out loud with me from the big screen. All right? Realize that the ways of the majority may not be the way of God. Realize that the ways of the majority may not be the way of God. In the Bible story, As we indicated we are told that 10 of the 12 men who went to explore the land of Canaan went back to Moses and the people said there is absolutely no way we can move these uh, 10 spies said there is absolutely no way we can move onto the land onto the so-called promised land. Two of the 12 Joshua and Caleb we're in the minority, and, and they said, yes, we can do it. We can do it. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. Numbers 14, verse 8. The majority, however, the majority prevailed. Majority ruled. In that situation... And as often happens in politics, on school boards, on condominium boards, in companies, in police departments, and in churches, most times, majority rules. Now, in most cases, that may be okay. Stick with me now. In most cases that may be okay. But sometimes the ways of the majority may not be the way of God. Are you with me? We have to to be more concerned about what is right and what is the will of God Instead of what does the majority want? There's the issue of abortion. Years ago, our Canadian government and the United States government legalized abortion, probably because our governments thought that's what the majority of people wanted. Across the years, millions of babies have been aborted for the sake of people's convenience. In recent years, when our daughter and her husband were expecting their two children, and also when our son and his wife were expecting their two children, they would on occasion bring their ultrasound pictures to show my wife and I. And sometimes we would put them on our, on our chest there, wherever. They would bring these ultrasound pictures to show us the growth and the development of their babies while still in the mother's womb. I would often study those ultrasound pictures, and I'm sure many of you have seen them as well, I, I, I've seen pictures of your babies or someone else's. But I would, I would study uh, and, and look at those pictures and I would, I would be able to make out, I'd see the, the little head and the arms and the legs and the fingers and the eyes and the nose and, and the mouth. And I would think to myself, how can anyone murder these little yet-to-be-born Babies. In 2017, in 2017 in Canada, it is estimated there were just over 100,000 abortions. That's the latest figure that I could find for 2017. Now get this, get this. In the United States between 1970... One nine seven zero and two thousand and fifteen. Between nineteen seventy and two thousand and fifteen, there were nearly forty six million legal induced abortions south of the border. That's terrible. That is more than the entire population of Canada. And God says, God says, thou shalt not kill. And because abortion was legalized, did not make it right. It did not make it right in the eyes of God. The ways of the majority may not be the way of God. Ladies, if ever you get pregnant, abortion is not to be an option. In recent years, there's the issue of marijuana. On October 17, 2018, our government legalized the use of marijuana, also known as cannabis. Now... We have to be concerned these days, we have to be concerned not only about drunk drivers, but we have to also be concerned about drivers who are high from marijuana and of course from other drugs as well. There are times when the ways of the majority, my friends, are not the ways of God. And whether or not, whether or not you are a teenager, a young adult, a middle-aged adult, or a senior adult, do not use marijuana. There's the issue of alcohol. In Canada, the United States, and in most countries, as you know, alcohol is legal and is easily accessible to most people. The majority of people and even some Christians, probably, would say there is nothing wrong with drinking alcohol. Every day, on average, up to four Canadians, four Canadians are killed, and 175 every day are injured in alcohol and or drug-related motor vehicle crashes on our public roads. In the United States, in the United States in 2016, the figures that are most recently available, in 2016, 10,497 people died in alcohol-impaired driving crashes, accounting for 28% of all traffic-related deaths in the United States. In terms of health alone, in Canada, there were there were around 77,000 hospitalizations entirely, entirely caused by alcohol in 2015 and 2016, compared to 75,000 hospitalizations for heart attacks in the same year. I would have thought that there would have been more people admitted on account of heart attacks, but in reality, there were more people admitted into hospitals on account of alcohol. In in another year, back in 2002, alcohol was responsible for 4,258 deaths in Canada. When one considers the problems, when one considers the problems caused by alcohol in driving, in health, and in family problems, it is best, it is best to stay away from all forms of alcohol. That's best. Now, I know, I know some people would say, some people would say, Pastor Nick, you know, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal to have the occasional social drink. And my response is this. Most people who die from cirrhosis of the liver started off with a social drink. Many major family problems started with a social drink. Most well meaning drunk drivers started with a social drink. Some women who drink alcohol during pregnancy give birth to babies with a terrible problem called FAS, fetal alcohol syndrome. It's a serious condition that can affect a child throughout his or her life, and I have seen children who have fetal alcohol syndrome. And I felt like weeping and did weep because it was something that could have been prevented. Women who give birth to fetal alcohol syndrome babies all started with a social drink. In the church of the Nazarene, we believe it is best to abstain totally from all forms of alcohol. The longer I have been a pastor, the more experience I have gained, the more I have have thanked God that in the Church of the Nazarene we believe in total abstinence from all forms of alcohol. For the benefit of people, for the benefit of individuals like you and you and you here in this sanctuary, for the benefit of radio listeners and internet listeners like you. The bottom line is, my dear friends, don't don't drink wine, don't drink beer or whiskey or rum or anything that has alcohol content in it. Proverbs 20, verse 1 says, wine, why don't you read it with me from the big screen. I've got, I think, three verses here. Read it with me. Wine produces mockers. Alcohol leads to brawls. Those led astray by drink cannot be wise. Next verse. Ephesians 5:18. Don't be drunk with wine, because they, that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Romans 13:13 13, 13 says. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness. Don't participate, says the Lord, in the the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness. Beloved, realize that the ways of the majority may not be The way of God. We've briefly talked about abortion and and marijuana and alcohol. And some of of you are thinking, oh, good, Pastor. None, None of that applies to me. Some of you are thinking, oh, none of that applies to me. Well, I wonder if the following, the following maybe applies to you. Keeping Sunday holy. Keeping Sunday holy. Do you keep Sunday as a holy day? For Christians, Sunday is our Sabbath day. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 10 says, let's read it in unison from the big screen. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the Sabbath day, the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. My friends, do you, do you dedicate Sunday to the Lord, our God? In recent years, in recent years, uh, I've, heard, I've heard about Christians out shopping on Sundays as if it's no big deal. you know? Christians are out shopping on Sundays as if it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday, Saturday, whatever. My friends, the ways of the majority are not the way of God. In recent years, Christians have been signing up their children for all kinds of Sunday sports, missing Sunday school and missing church services and people wonder, people wonder why kids grow up having no hesitation, no hesitation to shoot and kill another teenager or young man on the street. Other people... Other folks get an invitation to a birthday party or a work party that is being held on Sunday morning at 11 a.m. And the answer often is, oh, sure, we'll be there. We'll be there. And the answer should be, my friends, on Sunday mornings we go to church to worship God. Thank you. Thank you for your invitation. Thank you for your invitation we will be happy to come over after church. Amen. Amen. Exodus twenty eight through 10. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated, dedicated to the Lord your God. My friends, the ways of the majority are often not the way of God. Are you you part of the minority whose Sunday is dedicated to the Lord, your God? I believe we can have a better. And a greater future personally, as families, and as a congregation, as we, number one, believe in God's promises. And secondly, as we realize the ways of the majority may not be the way of God, and there are times. When you and I have to be the minority who says what's right, who does what's right, who lives what's right, and determined, we are determined to serve the Lord. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we face our future, motivate us, inspire us, to truly believe, believe in your promises, to believe in God's promises, some of which we've talked about today. And Lord, may you remind us that we must remember and must realize the ways of the majority may not be the way of God. In fact, too often the ways of the majority are the ways of wrongdoing and of neglecting God forgetting God, being disobedient to you. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would inspire all of us to realize that the ways of the majority may not be your way. Inspire us to seek the way of the Lord individually, as families, as a church family.